0: Seated this morning. Middle schoolers, they're going to be dismissed as they'll be headed to the youth room upstairs. The rest of us, we're going to continue in our verse by verse study in the book of Hebrews. So, in your Bibles, the back of the New Testament, right before James' epistle, the book of Hebrews, we've studied the first 10 chapters. So, we're going to start at chapter 11, verse 1. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and uh, John will slip you a Bible. If you're towards the front, we have some on the front platform by Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. It's been a wonderful study, the book of Hebrews. I know that if you join us, it's amazing how many people have told me they never really have done a study in the book of Hebrews, there, or at least, um, you know, an in-depth study, a verse-by-verse study like what we're doing here at Calvary Chapel. And the book of Hebrews, even though it's technical, it's one of the most technical books because if you've been with us in our study, we've seen a lot of terminology, you know, that goes back to the Old Testament, um, Old Testament theology, the tabernacle, the sacrifices, the law, all these things. But there's an important point that is being made that we have seen very clearly. Matter of fact, uh, as we have been going through this epistle, as I've said to you, we don't know exactly who the writer of the Book of Hebrews was. We can't be dogmatic about it, and we know that the real author, the ultimate author, is the Holy Spirit. And always keep in mind that as Second Timothy 3, verse 16 declares to you and to me that all scripture is inspired by God. All means all, from Genesis to Revelation. And the reason that I want you to keep that in mind is because in the church at large today that the Word of God is being diminished and doubted more and more is what we see. All scripture is inspired by God. And even as Peter, he would write at the end of his life that he said concerning the Word of God or the sure word of prophecy that it never came by the will of man, but holy man of God as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And it's of the opinion and um, the case is being made by many Bible scholars that it was probably Paul the Apostle that penned this epistle. We don't have a name attributed to the book of Hebrews, but the reason that they do believe that is because, as we saw last week, that first of all, and uh, as chapter 10, we concluded it, that the writer says that I'm in chains. You guys have shown compassion to me in my imprisonment, in my chains. And then at the end of the epistle, we're gonna see that uh, the writer also knew Timothy. So Paul certainly would qualify as the possible writer just on those two points. But scholars who study the New Testament and the the language of of the New Testament um, seem to say that the book of Hebrews is Pauline. What they mean by that is that there's a pattern of writing that seems to be consistent with Paul's other books that we have in the New Testament that we know that he did write. He would uh, identify himself as the writer. And one of those patterns that you see, what they mean by that is that Paul's epistle, that as he's writing those epistles, again moved by the Spirit of God, that he would first write about position, and then he would get very practical. And that's indeed a pattern that we see uh, in Paul's epistles, for example, uh, as we read the book of Ephesians. You read the book of Ephesians, check six chapters long, chapters one, two, and three. Here's your position in Christ, who you are in Christ, the blessings in Christ. The, the book of Ephesians takes us to the heavenlies, right? So as you go through chapters one, two, and three, here are the, the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ. You've been redeemed. You've been forgiven. You've been adopted. You, you've been chosen. You've obtained an eternal inheritance. You've been brought near by his blood. You have the peace of Christ. He's our cornerstone. And you have boldness and access with confidence to the Father. Now, does that sound familiar? If you've been with us in our study as chapter 10, we just saw last week and a couple of weeks ago that uh, all these truths about Jesus get summed up in this, that therefore we can come boldly into the Holy of Holies, the presence of God, with confidence because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Very familiar term there and phraseology. So here we, we see that, that Paul would, he would talk about that position we have in Christ, the blessings we have in Christ, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, that I just gave an example of. And then chapters 4, 5, and 6, this is how you live for Christ. Here's the pa- practical application. And that section begins with, Therefore I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling in which you were called. This is how you live for Christ. And he talks about putting on a new man in your speech and your conduct and uh, you, you how to walk in the light and walk in love and walk in wisdom, your role and responsibilities as a husband, as a wife, uh, as parents, as, as children to your parents, as employees, employers, and so forth. We see that same pattern in the book of Romans. You see all these wonderful doctrine and truth that is establishing us in Christ in chapters 1 through 11 and we're all sinners and salvation justification the doctrine of justification that we're justified freely by his grace as we come in faith in Jesus Christ who died for us and and then we see the doctrine of a sanctification you're set apart for him to walk in the spirit and to walk in his love and there's nothing that will separate you from the love of God. Just these wonderful truths that are given to us. And then after chapter 11, chapters 12 through 16, this is how you live for Christ. And that section begins with, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You see, I think it is important that as we study the books of the Bible, that first of all, that we understand our blessings that we have in Christ, our position in Christ, what he's done for us. And as you understand that, that, Lord, I've been forgiven, and I've been adopted, and I've been redeemed and justified, and, and, and you're doing that work of sanctification, and, and your love for me is eternal. And your love for, for me will never be separated. And, Lord, oh, I just, you marvel at that. Then this is how you live for him, and, and it's going to be something that's going to be a desire of your heart that you're going to want to live for him you see when we just go to chapters four five and six and there's nothing wrong with it we're going to do a study on the family or on marriage and we start talking about responsibilities as husbands and wives unless you're really established in the love and the grace of the lord jesus christ in your position and what he means to us and what he has done for us and then it becomes a struggle sometimes But when we really understand and are established in the love of Jesus Christ and our position in Christ, then the practical things, it's a desire that I want to live for you, and I want to know you more, and I want to please you with my life. So I hope it's making sense what it is I'm trying to articulate because, you see, we see the same pattern in the book of Hebrews. We've seen very clearly the first 10 chapters, actually, up to verse 19 of chapter 10, the doctrinal basis of Jesus is superior or better. One of the key words that we've seen in this epistle is that word better. Chapter one, he's better than the angels. Chapter seven, he brings a better hope. He brings a better covenant. Chapter eight uh, brings a better promise. Chapter nine, a better sacrifice. Chapter 10: a better possession that is heaven. So Jesus is superior and better in every way. Do you have any religious person? To any prophet or priest, any religious system, including the Old Covenant. And for you who may be just joining us in our study, this epistle was written in the first century, about 62 63 AD. They were written to the Jewish believer that uh, Judaism was a part of their background. Now they're believers in Jesus Christ. And, And they had the temptation to go back to the animal sacrifices, go back to the law, to put themselves under the old covenant. And so they needed to have that doctrinal basis and foundation and truth to know who Jesus really is and what he has done for us. And going to the cross, Calvary's cross, and to know that his sacrifices, he offered himself up on that cross to die for the sins of the world, that it was a complete work. The animal sacrifices could not do that. That's why the animal sacrifices were done day after day. And if you brought your sin sacrifice to the priest and he sacrificed that animal as a, a sin offering or a trespass offering, the next time you sinned, you had to bring another one. Because it could not completely bring forgiveness of sin it was a kofar covering until the lamb of god came and died for your sins that phrase once and for all that we've seen in this epistle you see the old covenant wasn't perfect it couldn't even bring you into the presence of god only the high priest to the tabernacle behind the veil the holy of holies and so now with this doctrinal basis has been established the writer whether it was paul or whoever He very painstakingly and carefully lays out the certainty of Jesus' superiority, that he is the way into the Holy of Holies, that is the presence of God, as our mediator, as our Savior. He is our perfect high priest. And and now this is what you get to do. You can come boldly into his presence. Not just once a year like the high priest. He was the only one. Even the priest couldn't go into the Holy of Holies. If you don't know what that means, that was the tangible presence of God into the presence of God and only the high priest in the Old Covenant could come in once a day on the Day of Atonement. But you and I have the marvelous privilege to come into his presence, the Holy of Holies, because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And we can do it on any day that we want. We can do it as many times as we want we can stay there as long as we want and as you begin to read that oh jesus what you have done for me and now i can come into your presence it it means something to us and then as we continued in the chapter verse 22 what are we to do well we're to draw near to god with a true heart and in verse 23, that we are to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And in verse 24, that, that we are to not forsake the assembly of ourselves together, as is the matter of some. But what you are to do is you are to consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And as we finished the chapter last week, that you are to endure. I know you're going through hardships and difficulties And you're going to receive the promise of a reward. And the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Not by the law or the animal sacrifices or any of those things that have been discussed. The just shall live in faith in Jesus Christ. So once that's been established now, we're going to continue to see the practical side of the book of Hebrews, how we are to live in faith. Now, chapter 11 is probably a familiar chapter to a lot of us because it's called the faith chapter or the hall of faith. And you may be wondering, how does faith become a practical thing? Well, as we go through this chapter, actually the next three chapters and finishing the study in the book of Hebrews, uh, as we see that we're going to be ones that are going to be encouraged in how we can continue in faith, you see the just shall live by faith a major theme of the book of Romans, a major theme of the book of Galatians. Uh, Here is the writer picking it up from the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk. And so we will look at examples of faith. Hebrews chapter 2, the continuing in faith. And then chapter 13, the exhortation of faith. And you might recall that it was last week, if you were here, the conclusion of chapter 10, he addressed them, the need to endure, as I said. You've had it very hard. They've come, they plundered your possessions and, and, and there's been great struggles. You've showed compassion to me in my imprisonment and now he will talk about those who have walked in faith and about continuing in that faith and then the encouragement to you and I as we continue to walk in that faith and they needed to be encouraged because it would be a lot easier for them if you were a Hebrew Christian back in the first century with that background in Judaism, that if you came to Jesus Christ, your family would disown you. They would have a funeral for you. You would go through great persecution. And for us today, in our culture and in our society, as a believer in Jesus Christ, as you stand for righteousness, listen, you're going to be persecuted. We see in a society and a culture that's getting further away from the Lord, and it is true what paul would write to timothy that those who live godly in christ jesus will suffer persecution now we may not suffer persecution like they did in the first century or like many christians in the world today in different parts of the world but we are seeing that persecution happening more in america and as we get closer to the return of the lord we may see it increase i pray for a revival in america But the trend that we're going, we're becoming more of a godless nation, turning away from the Lord. And you and I, listen, need to be encouraged in the word of God and the things of God and our faith in God. Because just as it would have been easier for them to just go back to, let's go back to Judaism, let's go back to the the temple worship and the feasts and the animal sacrifices, that temptation was there is a temptation for us, and many are being pulled into it. To say, Lord, it would be a lot easier if I just go back to the world and the ways of the world and the philosophy of the world. If I don't just continue in my faith and living for the Lord. So I pray this is a great encouragement in your faith as we go through these chapters. Let's begin to look at chapter 11 as we see the definition of faith is given to us. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtain a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. So the writer here will discuss faith Here, the definition given to us in in verse 1, the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. That's the definition of faith. Now, when I first became a Christian, I would have, uh, you know, hear teachings on faith. I would hear a lot about faith and and the definition of faith given here in verse 1 of the chapter. And I wasn't sure what it meant. The substance of things hoped for, the, the evidence of things not seen, uh, what exactly does that mean? It, it, I felt like that, you know, I was taking algebra again or, or trying to figure out, you know, geometry, uh, kind of looking at this over and over again. It was so difficult. And then I would see Christian TV was just, just becoming a big thing, and, and I'd see that faith teacher on TV, and, and, and he would talk on faith, and, and, and faith is the, the substance of things hoped for, and you just got, if you want that healing, or if you want to be wealthy, you've just got to have enough faith in all of this, and you know, and, and it's like, whoa, enough faith, and, and, and it formed the world, and you got to speak that faith in all this, and, and over time, I used to, to think, and I'd say, think, how much faith do you have to have Because I read in my Bible, Jesus said that you can have faith the size of a mustard seed and tell that mountain to be gone. So we want to be clear in what the definition of faith is because it can become confusing or we have people that that treat faith like it's some kind of force. So as we look at this, here's the definition of faith. It is the substance or realization of things hoped for, uh, the evidence or confidence of things not seen. A simple translation is faith is being sure and certain about unseen hopes and realities. Faith is living in absolute confidence in what God has said, even when the fullness of the promise is not seen yet. It's faith in God. Trust in God. Faith in Jesus, who He is, what He has done for me. Faith is the absolute confidence that I'm sure that what is declared in God's word is certain and that it is true. I trust the word of God, what is declared concerning God. I trust and I believe in what we've learned about our, our perfect high priest, Jesus, in the first 10 chapters of this epistle. You see, I cannot go into a laboratory and produce God. People will say, and perhaps they've said this to you as you've witnessed to them or just told them how much the Lord means to you, that you can't prove God. I won't believe God or have faith in God unless I can see him, unless he shows up and he declares himself. And when they say that, that we can say to them very lovingly that he has declared himself through the person of Jesus Christ. That he came to this world because he loves you. And he died for you, and he wants to forgive you, give you the hope of heaven, and bring you into right relationship with the Father. You see, the religious leaders came to Jesus, and here Jesus had been healing every kind of sickness and disease. He's opening the eyes of the blind. Uh, The lame are walking, the the, the demoniacs are being freed, the lepers are being cleansed, healing every kind of sickness and disease. And the religious leaders come and they say, show us a sign. Do some kind of miracle. It's like, do some kind of miracle. But what they wanted is they wanted the the sky to open up and fire come down from heaven. They wanted to see this super spectacular sign. Show us that you're Messiah. They would say in Luke's narrative that we want you to usher in the kingdom of God right now. You either usher in the kingdom of God or shut up. And Jesus would say to them that no signs going to be given to this generation except for one. And that is, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a large fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You want a sign, this generation, and a sign for every generation? That is my resurrection. I'm going to rise from the grave. So faith is trust, realization of things hoped for, and confidence of things not seen. I've never seen God. I've never seen the resurrected Lord, but I do have faith. And here's the thing to keep in mind. Faith doesn't contradict reason. To have faith in God, as some people try to make us feel like, is that you have to assassinate your brain and that you're you know, a lunatic or you're so weak and it's a crutch and all of this. I can go to the street, I look both ways, and I see no cars are coming, and I have faith that I'm going to cross the street, right? I trust I'm going to make it. And as you came in, you trust that the chair was going to hold you, right? You've been in here before. The, the chairs hold you. I didn't see anybody. You know, I'm going to use this. Look at the chair and just kind of examine it and and maybe try it. You came in and you had faith that the chair was going to hold you. I, I look at why I should believe the claims of Christ, the uniqueness of the Bible, the prophecies of the Scripture, which are absolutely incredible, the eyewitness accounts of the resurrection that I can look at it objectively, and I can look at it with with reason and intellectually, and and eyewitnesses, even as Paul said that there are 500 witnesses that saw the resurrected Lord at one time. Some of them are alive. It's like Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, go and ask them. Now, if you go to the court of law, and you have 500 witnesses that come to the stand and claim that they saw somebody do a certain thing, that is strong evidence, isn't it? So here are 500 saying we saw the resurrected Lord at once and and the apostles and Cephas and Paul says that I myself saw the resurrected Lord. That I believe in my heart because of the witness of the Holy Spirit that God is true and Jesus is true and the word of God and his promises are true. Faith is not some kind of force like the force be with you. That's what I thought, and that was the, 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 uh, the message I tended to get from some that I was listening to. And as we go through this, the definition of faith, and then the writer goes on to say that the elders of faith, how they endured, how they lived in faith, walked in faith, that would give them a good testimony. They all went through difficulties. They went through challenges, just like some of you have gone through. And then we're going to be told that later in the chapter that these all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. I want to remind you, Christian, that we are just pilgrims passing through, that this world is not our home matter of fact, Paul wrote to the Philippians that we are citizens of heaven. Don't get too fond of this world. We are blessed in this world. We have many blessings that come to us, but we are not of the world. We are in the world, and this is not our home. We're just pilgrims and strangers passing through. And then in verse 3, as I read, by faith we understand that the worlds were formed by the word of God. The psalmist would write in Psalm 33, by the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded it, and it stood fast. And it is by faith we understand that God created the heavens and the earth. Now, we didn't see God create the heavens and the earth, did we? But by faith we believe he did, because the word of God declares that. Let there be light, he said, and there was light and I'll say this that if you can believe Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth then you can believe the rest of the Bible you can believe in the miracles the plan of God the salvation of God the love of God for us and I believe that it is very very important to our faith listen that we understand that God created the heavens and the earth that we understand what God's word says about creation He created the heavens and the earth in six days, and he saw that it was good. He created man. He created Eve, told them not to eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they did. And we know as you go into chapter 3 of the book of Genesis that now we live in a fallen world, and sin and death has come into the world. And 4,000 years after that, Here comes Paul the Apostle, and he's writing to the Roman church, and he says, you guys know, as in chapter 5, he writes, therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men. It's amazing to me how many Christians, and more amazing how many pastors behind the pulpit, that they put their faith in evolution, that they believe in some kind of evolution took place, before the fall of man. And as you consider that, listen, it undermines the gospel. And here Paul is writing, he says, that sin and death came through one man, Adam, but then life came through the last Adam, Jesus Christ, and what he has done for you and for me. And if we believe in evolution, that there was evolutionary processes and man evolved from, you know, uh, from uh, primates and things like that, you believe that God brought death to this world through evolutionary processes and it undermines the very gospel. When I was, you know, people say, oh, you're just a old fart, you know, what do you know? When I was going to CSU in a science field, I remember that as I was learning the Bible and as I was learning evolution through the biology and dendrochronologies and silver culture classes and all of this, that I was thinking, how could this evolve? When you look at the diversity and the complexity of life, in the different ecosystems and how they're tied together, there's a wonderful creation, and there had to be a creator. And I knew that God created it, that the chance that it evolved, it's like saying that a tornado goes through a junkyard and then afterwards produces a 747. I used to drive my professors crazy, me and Sparky. Sparky was a friend of mine. We'd have to answer a question, you know, when did the pine cone, you know, evolved you know they wanted to hear a million years or two million years ago in this era and we put on the test well you know i know this is the answer that you want a million years ago parentheses but i don't believe it i believe the bible and our professors would get so triggered by that (laughs) we drove them crazy but we were trying our best to stand by what the word of god has to say talking to Ken Ham personally of answers in Genesis. You see, to to believe in a creation account of the Bible and, and creation science, you don't have to assassinate your brain, folks, that there's good science behind it. I think it takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does in the creation account. And Ken Ham, who has a wonderful ministry of answers in Genesis, I remember talking to him personally. He goes all over the world speaking at churches and doing conferences, and he said, one of the things that frustrates me is 80% of pastors that I talk to believe in some kind of, of evolution, timeline, progressive, gap theory. And they believed that there was death that came before the fall of Adam. Adam, if you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. He didn't know what that meant because he had never seen death. And you might be thinking, Pastor Jeff, you feel pretty strong about it. The reason that I do is because our children and you are being told that God did not create you. That you are a product of evolutionary processes. And we're seeing the consequences that is happening to our culture and to our kids and to us as a whole because of becoming a more godless society and culture, and our kids are confused. And that's why we are giving the message at this Vacation Bible School that you were created by God, and he loves you, and he sent his son to die for you, to give you hope, and he has a wonderful plan for you. So moms on this Mother Day and dads, you stick to the truth of what God's word declares. I don't care how smart somebody claims to be, and I know there are very intelligent people with a lot of signs they say backs them up, but my God is smarter, and his word is true. And if you want to answer those questions, you go on Answers in Genesis. You see that there's good signs that, that backs that up, But they need to know that there's a God that loves them and created them. And you see, it's not new. That problem was back in Isaiah's day, 2,700 years ago. We looked at this. It's amazing. Just a couple weeks ago that that here's Isaiah's. They had left the word of God, and, and they'd gotten into all those things that were false. And surely you have things turned around. They were saying of the Lord, shall the potter be esteemed as the clay? And shall the thing made say of him who made it, he did not make me? Or shall the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding? Isn't that a message that our children are hearing today? That there is no God that created you, he doesn't understand you. He made a mistake when he made you. And they don't understand that there's a loving God that wonderfully formed you and fashioned you in your mother's womb and he loves you and his thoughts towards you are thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope that his thoughts towards you are continuous and precious and that's what we want to tell our children and that's what you are to tell them and that's what we are to proclaim so we understand that God spoke and the world came into existence and I have faith in the all big powerful God and that he created the heavens and the earth and there is no problem too big or difficult for God to work and for him to fulfill his promise. Because I also know that on this Mother's Day if some of your moms you're hurting for your children You're praying for them. They're in the world and you hurt. And I want to encourage you, you keep praying for them. And you keep giving them the word of God and the love of God to them and don't stop. And I also know that some of you that you grieve here this morning because of the loss of your mom. That she's no longer here and the blessing that she was to you and there's a living hope that we have through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the separation is temporary, but the reunion is going to be eternal. And I pray that the Lord comforts you. His promises are true. So the definition of faith, and then by faith we understand. Now, the writer of Hebrews starts to give examples of those faith. Let's look at that quickly in verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, though which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. So the first example, Genesis chapter 4. Abel. We know the story of Cain and Abel, don't we? Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain was a tiller of the ground, and it would be Abel that brought the firstborn of his flock and Cain brought the offering of fruit, but God did not respect Cain's offering. He respected Abel's offering. So Cain got angry as you read in verse uh, 5 of Genesis chapter 4. His countenance fell, it says. Now, when you initially read that chapter, you think, okay, that wasn't very fair of God to accept Abel's but not Cain's you know, sacrifice. Poor Cain. So wonder he's upset. It's like, does God like ranchers over farmers? It wasn't that way at all. Because as you continue reading in the chapter in verses 6 and 7, the Lord would say to Cain, why are you so angry, Cain? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And as you read that account in Genesis 4, what we are told is Cain, he knew how to do well. Listen, Cain, why are you angry with me? You know how to do well. God didn't leave him in the dark about giving an offering that was acceptable to him. And I am personally convinced that God made it very clear to both Cain and Abel how he was to be approached, and that was through the basis of a blood sacrifice. Abel believed it. He obeyed the commandment. Sacrifice was accepted. Cain rejected God's requirement. And his sacrifice wasn't accepted and he got angry and he took that anger out on his brother and killed him. It was Abel who had faith in God and he suffered because of his faith in God and God's word given. Just as these Hebrew Christians were being persecuted and suffering by the hands of their brethren because they had faith in what has been declared by God, just as you and me, that as we believe the word of God, That we will go through some form of tribulation or suffering because of it. Because there are many people that we know and we care for and that we love that they want to approach God on their own terms. And they will get upset at you and me because we tell them, you can only approach the Father through Jesus Christ who declared that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. It is faith in him. But there are those who want to come to God on their own terms. And they get upset and they will lash out at you and me. And they will get angry because they want to approach God and be accepted by God on the basis of their own efforts or their own works or their own way. And I believe that's what Cain was doing, bringing a sacrifice of his own efforts and works. And what we have been told very clearly in this epistle and what we're told all throughout the scriptures is that you can come to God on your own works, but it's not going to work. It is only by faith in Jesus Christ that brings justification to you and to me. It's not faith in the church. It's not the faith that your parents have. It's not faith in your good works because there's not any amount of good works that can bring forgiveness of sin and bring us into that position of being declared righteous. It is only faith in Jesus Christ who then imputes righteousness to us. And Abel was killed for his faith, but his testimony of faith still speaks, still lives on even to this day because we're talking about him a man of faith, believed in God what he declared. And then verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him for before he was taken, he had this testimony that he was pleased God. So it's interesting, Enoch, there's only four verses about him in Genesis chapter 5. We don't have any stories about Enoch, but we're told that he walked with God. He lived a life that pleased God. It was a life of faith, and so God took him. He was not. That's what Genesis tells us. Now it doesn't mean that he fell over dead. What it means is that as you read the King James, that God translated him. It takes on the meaning of transport. In other words, he was raptured. I personally think that Enoch is a typology of the church, that he was raptured, and then you go to Genesis chapter six, which is Genesis chapter six. The story where God says that I'm going to judge the world through a worldwide flood. And that's a picture, Enoch, of the church that I believe that we will be raptured. He will come for us someday. We don't know the day or the hour. And he will take us out of and away from the hour of tribulation that shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. The promise given to the church of Philadelphia, Revelation chapter 3. That he will take us out of and away from the hour of tribulation, the tribulation period where he pours out his wrath on a Christ rejected world. So Enoch was taken. But without faith, as we continue, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith says, I can come to God because I believe in what is declared of him, his son who has provided access to God through faith. It is faith that says... As I walk with God like Enoch, who walked with God for 300 years, that I too will be rewarded. And and note that the writer of Hebrews doesn't say it's difficult to please God without faith. He says it's impossible. They came to Jesus in John chapter 6. They said, what must we do to do the works of God? And Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. You believe on me. And the first part of this, as we just read, the key to faith, believing God is, most of us, we don't have a, a problem with that. It's the second element. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. We can doubt that at times. Because some of you have gone through difficult things, and you've gone through hurts, and you've gone through the challenges and the difficulties and all the things that we go through. But I want you to remember that we have a living Savior at the right hand of the Father. He desires to reward those who walk with him and to remember what chapter 6, verse 10 declares, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown towards his name, that you have ministered to the saints. Keep continuing in faith and believing in him. He's not unjust to forget your work and labor of love. You keep ministering and pleasing God and know that God is going to work on your behalf. He sees. So don't become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And then as we finish this morning, verse 7, by faith knowing Noah, being divinely warned, things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heirs of the righteousness which is according to faith. We know the story of Noah. You Hebrew Christians, you have had it difficult. Just think how difficult it was for him. He lived in a day when the wickedness of man was great, according to Genesis chapter 6. The thoughts of men were evil continuously, and the earth was full of corruption. And the Lord comes to Noah and says, you're going to build an ark, Noah. You're going to build an ark because I'm going to flood the earth. And you're going to build it 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. That's twice as high as this church building. He didn't have any power tools. He didn't have Home Depot or Lowe's to go to to get lumber. He didn't have any of that. And God told Noah the judgment would come. And, and I'm going to bring the floodwaters on the earth to destroy all flesh. It had never rained because of the atmosphere of the earth. Uh, before that, there was a firmament. Genesis chapter 1 tells us around the atmosphere of the earth. It was tropical all around the earth. That's why you, they found fossils of the mammoth in the arctic circle with vegetation still in its mouth because something happened very quickly they don't tell you about that that they found uh, fossils of tropical plants in the sierra desert in in the antarctica Because it was all tropical and it didn't rain. And here's Noah, who was a preacher of righteousness, the Bible tells us in in the gospel narratives, a preacher of righteousness saying, Hey, turn to the Lord, turn away from your wickedness. Judgment is going to come for 120 years. And you know they mocked him. They said, Look at that old coot who's building an ark, he says judgment's going to come. It's going to rain. It's never rained before. And for 120 years, he endured and went through that, and he ministered and witnessed to his family. And on that day that the Lord put him in the ark and sealed the ark and closed the door, eight people were right and a whole lot of people were wrong. And all of a sudden, drip. And all of a sudden, drip. Drip. And drip and drip and it began to rain and the flood waters came upon the earth. You might think you're alone at your workplace or in your family. Oh person's a Jesus freak. They're all religious and all of this. Listen, you keep praying. You keep praying for your loved ones. And and I want us to, as I close here, just one more minute and we'll be done. But verse 7 prepared an ark for the saving of his household. So, moms and dads, the most important ministry, you know this to be true, is be that witness to your children. Be a witness in the way you live your life, in the testimony of the Lord, even as you're going through difficult times that the Lord has saved us and we are blessed and the Lord's going to take care of us. And the Lord is true. And let me tell you how much the Lord means to me. To be that witness for them because the world is not going to do it. And our prayer is that you have the strength to be able to do that and endure. In this world, that's all mixed up and messed up. Be preparing to leave a legacy, an eternal legacy, a godly legacy for them. And we're going to pray that the Lord will grant you the grace and the wisdom and the mercy to be able to do that. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for just its an incredible chapter. We can talk a lot about it. And, Lord, we believe in you. We have faith in you. Even when it seems like, Lord, what is happening in my life? That when we're confronted with the things that we don't understand, we can fall back into things that we do understand. And that is your love for us, how you provide it for us. Your promises are true. You haven't left us or forsaken us. That we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Father, this morning I just pray for anyone that might be here listening to this on live stream or later on the radio that if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ he is the source of your forgiveness he made atonement on the cross for you to recognize that I am a sinner to understand that I need to turn to Jesus that's what the word repent means and to come to him to be forgiven and ask him into my life as my personal Lord and Savior because he is the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. He conquered sin and death as he rose from the grave and he sits at the right hand of the Father. Will you come to him? It's not faith in your own efforts and works. It's not faith in a church. It's not faith in your parents or anybody else's, your spouse's faith. It is you. Will you come to him? Today is the day of salvation. We want to give you the opportunity right now to do that. This is the most important decision you will ever make in your life. It has eternal consequences. He loves you, He came to provide forgiveness and salvation for you in right relationship with the Father. He has a a wonderful plan for you. It's not going to be perfect because we live in a fallen world, but He desires the work every day of our life so that we can see his goodness and faithfulness and you can call out to him right now if that means anything to anyone here this morning that jesus i come to you i surrender all to you right now i ask that you forgive me of my sins i believe you died on the cross for me and that you are the lord of lords you rose from the grave and I ask that you would sit upon the throne of my life as my personal Lord and Savior. I believe in you, and I thank you for dying for me. I want to walk with you and know you all the days of my life, and I thank you for this new beginning. I Thank you for hearing my prayer in Jesus' name. If you sincerely prayed that, we want to welcome you to the family of God, but we're going to have a prayer team up here, Pastor John and... and, and Tell them a decision that you made. We want to encourage you and bless you in every way. But Lord, again, for all the moms that are here, bless their day. Thank you for their ministry to their children. For us as parents, grandparents, for all of us, that we would give a message to our children of your incredible love and provision. Help us to be that witness just walking with you, living for you. That the joy of the Lord would be evident in our hearts and the reality of Jesus Christ. So Lord, we thank you for today. Take everyone home safely. Bless our day.